Welcome to Stratford Lutheran's Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex, and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series, and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon. First lesson for today is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 50, beginning with the fourth verse. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? This is the word of the Lord. The response of reading today is from Psalm 118. Please respond as indicated in your bulletin. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter them. I will offer thanks to the Lord. I will give thanks to you, for you answered me and have become my salvation. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Hosanna, Lord, Hosanna. Lord, send us now success. God is the Lord. He has shined upon us. Form a procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You 
Let us give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. The second lesson is taken from Philippians, the second chapter, beginning with the fifth verse. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equally equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of his servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 24th chapter. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in, in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day our Lord is coming. The Gospel of our Lord. be seated. You ever started planning for an event, and in that event, everything you've got meticulously laid out, you've got all of the food ordered, all of the paper plates and napkins and all the silverware and everything, just everything perfect. And then one thing starts to go awry, a shipment gets delayed, the food gets burnt, Maybe it's not even cooked well enough. All of these things seem to fall apart around your really meticulously planned week or day or event. And it could just be a handful of things. Uh, Janae and I experienced this Friday. We, were, we had a whole afternoon planned. We were going to go down to Des Moines and spend the afternoon with the kids at the mall. And we got about four miles outside of Stratford. And we got some phone calls of concerning family members that said, the storms look like they're going to be very bad, so you should probably stay home. So after some brief discussions, we decided, well, we'll just go home and we'll just stay in. And of course, nothing happened. But you, we, we had this whole day planned. All week long, we had been looking forward to that night to just go down and spend time with 
the kids and just walk around the mall and, and just basically have a relaxing night. And then the storms came and seemed to have shifted all of that. And that can happen again in, in just so many different ways. And I, I felt like if we were one of the disciples watching Jesus enter Jerusalem, we're probably thinking in the same boat. Boy, this week is starting off great. Everything is wonderful. They're, they're chanting his name. They're, they're reciting the Psalms. This is just glorious. And then as the week progresses, the tension increases. All the way up until when we get to Thursday night, he will be betrayed in the garden. He will be arrested. And then he will be taken through mock trials, beaten, crucified, and dead by the end of the week. So what started off as this great and wonderful week ends in death. So as the children processed into the sanctuary this morning carrying the psalms and they put on a wonderful little program for us, we note the excitement that these disciples gripped to as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. The shoutings of the crowds, the excitement that accompanies them. And as I mentioned, I feel like if we were in the, the disciples' shoes, this could be exactly what we were thinking. Boy, this is, this is everything we've been working for for three years. Jesus is finally coming to claim what is his. They can taste the freedom right on their fingertips. And of course, the very next thing that Jesus does upon entering Jerusalem is he goes and cleanses the temple. He drives out all the money changers, flips over the tables, makes a whip out of the cords, and starts snapping it at people. You were watching from the crowds. You're probably, yeah, go, Jesus. Drive out those bad people. See, everything started to fall into place because that's the mindset that they had. They had pictured Jesus as entering Jerusalem in this notion that he was now going to become and be declared king of Israel. And then they would overthrow the Roman oppression and be a free people once again. And after he cleanses the temple, he goes on to heal the blind and the lame and performs more miracles. And so that excitement right there starts to dissipate a little bit. Because over the course of the next few days, what we get is just the usual teaching from Jesus. He's out healing the sick, performing these miracles, and saying some profound things. And so the, the anticipation is now waned quite drastically. But yet, this is still a moment to call for celebration. The fact that our Messiah fulfilled prophecy, he came into Jerusalem as all of the prophets and the psalmists declare. And this is the start of a week that we as Lutherans consider to be most holy. I would venture to say, this week alone is probably more holy and it's in our focus than even the week of Christmas. And I love the celebration of Christmas. I love the story of the birth of Christ. But see, this is the week that everything that we believe hinges on. There's no, there's no doubt or dispute that Christ was born and he lived as a man. But the naysayers will doubt his death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. And that is where we as Christians, as Lutherans, hang our entire faith upon. This week, from today until next Sunday, when we celebrate Easter Sunday together. 
But as he enters this temple, this is a week that has been planned out. Jesus has been making his way to Jerusalem. If you go back in some of the gospel accounts, it'll actually start to talk about his journey towards Jerusalem. So this has been going on for a while. And as we can sit back and look, we know when he's going to enter. He enters at Passover. But there's something else kind of nestled underneath this triumphant entry into Jerusalem. See, as we can look back and reflect, we know that Jesus didn't come to, to abolish the Roman oppression. He didn't come to liberate Jerusalem or to free the Israelites. No, he came to suffer and die. But he will return. And that is the whole crux to everything. Christ enters Jerusalem. He will then teach and, and continue to be what the Pharisees and the scribes would declare as maybe a prophet or a good teacher until he really angers them. But this has been conspired against him for a long time as well. And then he's ultimately betrayed Thursday night and handed over to the Romans who then flog and beat him and then proceed to crucify him. So as Jesus enters the city, I'm sure many had thought this, that he was there to finally free them. This was their great liberation. Finally, somebody who has come. He has done all these marvelous things. He must be from God. He's got to be the one who's going to finally take us away from this slavery. But as mentioned, the point of Jesus coming to Jerusalem wasn't to do that. It was simply to die. That is the entirety of this week from today until Friday night. And then we would have what we call Silent Saturday, where we have nothing, no word, just a dead Messiah in a tomb. And then we come on Sunday and celebrate the risen Lord. But it is good for us to remember his disciples did not know and realize what would take place this week. As they followed him into Jerusalem, they had no idea that he was going to be betrayed, that he would be arrested and tried and beaten and flogged and then crucified. They had no idea. They, they had heard Jesus say that the Son of Man had to be turned over. They heard that he had to die, but they still couldn't quite put this puzzle together. But as this week has been meticulously planned out, and we can reflect back and cycle around on it every year on Palm Sunday as we acknowledge the beginning of Passover. We can come back and look at this text, but there's still, as I mentioned, something deeper to it. Jesus enters Jerusalem the first time, but the second time that he comes will be in greater glory. As he came in to the gates and people were throwing down their garments and laying their palms down in front of him and shouting Hosanna in the highest. When he returns again, the skies will shatter open and everybody will see him and everybody will know who he is. The passage that I picked out today is from the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. And if you read chapters 24 and 25 in Matthew, you will pick up these elements of end of times. A lot of destruction, a lot of mayhem, and a lot of craziness going on. False teachers and false prophets and all of these things happening. 
But this particular passage that I wanted to really focus is solely on this notion that nobody knows. In fact, we're 2,000 some years later and we're still waiting for Christ to return. But as Jesus is preaching, I think verse 42 really stands out. Therefore, stay awake. Be vigilant. Be ready. Pay attention to what is going on in the world. Always be looking. Look to the skies for the return of the Lord. Always be vigilant. Ready. Might seem like a pointless message now that we're 2,000 years after. Jesus telling his disciples, be ready, be awake, don't fall asleep on this. There will come a time when I return, don't give up hope. And then that message is passed on in the writings of the apostles and into the early church. And for 2,000 years we've been shouting this message, Jesus will return. In fact, I think what Peter writes is a little bit more profound. And he writes this just a short time later. He says, scoffers will come and mock you. They will push their own selfish ambitions upon you and they will sit and make fun of you because you're a Christian. Because you think Jesus is going to return, but where is he? He hasn't come yet. Seems to be kind of what the culture in the world of today is going. Everybody mocking the Christian. Everybody turning their heads towards us. Where is your God now? Why hasn't he come back? He said he was going to and he hasn't. But Peter made that prophecy some 2,000 years ago. That these people would come out of the woodwork and begin to mock and ridicule Christians because of this one element of faith that we hold on to, that Christ will return. Now, the concept of being mocked for our faith isn't anything new in today's world. We've been, in fact, mocked and persecuted for 2,000 years, going all the way back to the apostles who went out and died for their faith. Every single one of them except the Apostle John was killed in a very gruesome manner. Some far more gruesome and intense than I can pay witness to in the pulpit. And for 2,000 years, the church has endured the ridicule and the mocking and the pushback from the world. And yet we continue to persevere week in and week out. We continue to push towards Christ. We continue to wait and so this question can be posed. How easy is it for us to forget that Jesus will actually return? We say we're Christians. We believe that Christ is our Lord and Savior. But the premise of our faith hinges on the resurrection. These two moments when Christ was resurrected from the grave on Easter Sunday. And the time that he will return and resurrect us. Giving us those new glorified bodies that we hear so often about. So how easy is it for you to forget that Jesus is going to return? Following the service, we will all partake in this wonderful potluck that we've been planning. And then you'll go home and you'll go on about your week. You'll get lost in the hustle and movements of the world. And you'll forget. You'll forget this message. You'll try to reflect back on it Wednesday and think, I don't remember anything Pastor said. It has all escaped my mind. 
I got nothing out of it today. Our minds drift away from the promises of Christ because the world continues to demand our attention and our presence and our focus. Our kids, our spouses, our jobs, our family, they demand all of our attention. And yet, Jesus tells us to be awake, to be alert. Seems like we often as Christians are just falling asleep at the wheel. We're just drifting off and letting our bus go into the ditch. But you see, hold this. The promise that Christ will return is still true. We don't know the day or the hour. We don't know anything of that nature. But we know that if he promised it, it will take place. Just as he had promised his disciples on this journey over the three years that he will be turned over, crucified, and killed, that he had to enter Jerusalem to do so, and all of those events took place and, in fact, were fulfilled, he promises that he will return. Peter gives us a better way, I think, to look at it following his little section on the scoffers. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the day with one day the Lord is a thousand years. With one day for the Lord, it is a thousand years for us. And a thousand years for us is one day to the Lord. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, when the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and its works that are done on it will be exposed." So as Jesus gives this text in the Olivet Discourse, he is preparing his disciples for the inevitable return. One, when sin will be finally eradicated, death will have no more bearing. But he tells them, nobody will know. You can't go home and mark it on your calendar next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Jesus is returning. It's not going to happen. Because he will come like a thief in the night when you least expect it. So just as we begin to unpack Holy Week, as the week that the Father is determined to be the week that Jesus will come into Jerusalem and die for our sins. Don't fret and lose hope of what Christ has promised. Don't be distracted by all of the demands that are pulling our minds in the world. Stay awake. Be vigilant. In this week, we know the text. We know everything that will take place. We can read from the chapters, Matthew 21 and on until the end. We know all of these teachings and how Jesus will cleanse the temple and then go and heal and teach and then gives us the Olivet Discourse and then Thursday night we come into the institution of the Lord's Supper and then Friday we know that he will experience death on the cross. And then we know that Friday afternoon his body is wrapped in linen and put into a tomb and the tomb is sealed. And then we have nothing on Saturday. We hear nothing. And then on Sunday, we all come together with great shouts of triumph and the trumpet blasting and reflect in the resurrection of our Lord. We have this whole week mapped out. We know everything. In fact, there's a lot of charts. If you just go and Google Holy Week for the Christians, you'll see how the, it correlates to all the gospel accounts. And you know every single day that Jesus did something. 
You know what to expect and you know when to expect it. But nestled underneath all of this suffering, death and resurrection of Christ is the inevitable return of our Savior. Jesus had to die. If Jesus didn't die, your sins are not forgiven. That is the premise to our faith. But he did die, and he had to die, so that your sins can be forgiven. And when he finally does return, when those skies shatter open and Jesus appears, he will truly liberate us from the greatest oppression, sin. So this is what to cling to. This is what to keep in the back of your head as you go forward in this week. And every week that you come back, hear the gospel, hear the promise, have your oil refilled. If you read Matthew 25, you'll have the, the story of the ten virgins, five who were wise and five who were unwise. The five who were wise kept their lamps filled with oil and did not burn them. The five unwise burned them really quick at the beginning of night and failed to be ready when the bridegroom returned. A parable that demonstrates faith that there will be some who have faith for such a short period of time and then they'll dwindle away. But for you to keep hearing the promises over and over, your lamps are continuously refilled. When you come on Thursday and you partake in the Lord's Supper, when you come on Easter and partake in the Lord's Supper, you will be given more and more faith to be reminded of these promises. Your stamina will be recharged, your hopes in the coming Christ renewed. The promises that are always preached into your ear that Christ will return. And because of that, because of the resurrection he experiences on Sunday, we too will experience a resurrection like his for all who believe. Thank you for tuning in to another sermon brought to you by Pastor Alex at Stratford Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have enjoyed these sermons and you are interested in helping support our church, you can do so by going to stratfordlutheran.org and clicking on the About Us tab. Then you will see a little link that says Support Our Church. You can click on that. It will bring you to a page called Vanco. And you can sign in, create an account, and you can either do a one-time gift or you can set up recurring gifts. It's easy, it's convenient, it's secure. It's what we've been using for the last four years in our church for our online giving platform. So we would ask you to prayerfully consider helping support our church as we continue to provide you godly 
centered content in the years to come. Thank you once again for listening and God bless.